it's a three-piece puzzle. It's like, okay, if I can get you in a good spot at setup, and I can get you in a good spot in the backswing, then hopefully you can just... And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. Mr. Cermak could not join us. He had two charity scrambles this week. So I was riding solo on this podcast this week, and you guys are in for a real treat. In case you're new, if your golf game's off the rails, you're sick of riding that struggle bus, you've come to the right place. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. Because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, I'm telling you, you can smile through anything, okay? We unpack the mental game with anyone from a PJ Tour pro to a best-selling author and a golfer like you and me. And today, you guys are in for a real treat. We got Parker McLaughlin, the short game chef, aka the hottest short game coach on the planet right now and on tour. Colin Morikawa, Keith Mitchell, the list goes on. And this is his second time hopping aboard the train. And you guys know, sometimes I love, actually most times, I love interview two, three, four with a guest even more than the first because we can go deep on a topic and today, we're going deep on the topic of the yips. Now, let me caveat. I said this at the beginning with Parker off air. My goal for this episode, and I think we achieved it, is this interview and this podcast should be valuable for any golfer, regardless if you've gone through the yips or not. It can help prevent the yips moving forward. It can help you get out of the yips, and it can help your game overall. We relate and draw parallels from the learnings of overcoming something like as tough as, as the yips. And I've experienced it too, that it can elevate every part of your game and even your life. So this episode is a real treat. Parker's one of our favorite guests and he's doing great stuff and highly recommend his website as well. I'm a paid member, shortgamechef.com. So check that out, especially if you're going through the yips, he's got a whole video program to help prevent it. So Thank you guys, as always. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a review at Apple Podcasts. I actually just found out that we are the number one golf podcast in Finland, Singapore, and Switzerland. Just found that out today. Pretty cool. So thank you guys for listening all around the world. That means the world. And if you like the podcast, hop aboard our email newsletter at thepartrain.com. I send a free email every Monday just with a very simple quote, thought, insight that I'm thinking about to help keep you on track. Check out our YouTube at The Par Train. I'm doing more and more videos. I got an amazing video plan. Speaking of the yips, I'm going to fly and see Brett McCabe next week in Birmingham, arguably the best sports psychologist in the game, John Rahm, sports psychologist, among many others. And we're going to help me get back on track as well. So look out for that video and follow us at The Par Train, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. It's all deadly to help you guys stay on track and keep enjoying the ride in between podcasts. So thank you as always for hopping aboard. And no matter what you're going through, hope you guys enjoy the ride. Take care. Parker McLaughlin, my honor to welcome you aboard your second ride on the train. How you doing, my man? Great, man. Always good to be aboard the park train. You know, I've told you this before, and we've said it on our show many times, but I get even more excited selfishly for the second ride. Because the second ride can be very specific. We can go really deep on one thing. If you guys haven't listened to our first episode with Parker, definitely do. Just search Par Train Short Game Chef. I think it'll pop right up. But the second episode are usually even better than the first. So I'm excited for this. And one thing I want to say before we get started, this will probably be a little bit different of, of things. Probably nobody said this at the start of an interview for you. And I know you've been doing a lot of them lately. but 
when you first said after our first interview that you should come back and talk about the yips, to be perfectly honest with you, I was hesitant at first because I'm super mindful to make sure every podcast we do can apply to a multitude of golfers and all of our listeners, right? Whether they're a pro, a high-performing amateur, or a 20 handicap, right? I was thinking about it, and I think this conversation today, I think that's going to be my job, is to make sure that it's not just for someone that has the yips. I think this can be for anyone. So I guess that's my first question, Parker, is how will learning about the yips help someone who's never gone through them? Ooh, that's a good question. I think, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, let's just look at the PGA Tour. You yep. know, you got Lucas Glover, who's dealt with it for the last decade. And, and I've talked to Lucas about it. I've talked to one of the guys that he was working with on the Yips. I, I've talked to him about it. And then Troy Merritt, another guy on the PGA Tour, who just sort of came out and was like, hey, you know, I've been struggling with the putter. I've been struggling with feeling like I'm yipping it. And it's just something that I never, it never entered my mind. I didn't know what it was. And then all of a sudden it becomes a thing. And then that thing goes from like really small. And then it just keeps growing and growing and growing. You know, as golfers, you always sort of hear that saying of like, Hey, if don't say the Y word, don't say the S word, right? Shank, don't say yips. Don't, don't say that because the second that you start to acknowledge it and you start to say it, it may start to manifest itself and, and come into your experience as a golfer. There's there's probably something like true to that statement because, you know, what you speak a lot of times comes into existence. And so if you're constantly talking about the yips or you're constantly talking about shanking it or, man, I'm a terrible golfer or I suck at five foot putts. Well, pretty sure you're going to start sucking at five foot putts. I would say that if you haven't ever experienced the feeling of the yips or shanking it or whatever it might be, I would say protect that mental headspace that you have. It's really important. Protect that mental headspace and don't go watching videos of worst golf shots on YouTube or worst amateur shots caught on camera. Don't go do that because that just sort of starts imprinting this stuff. Don't tell yourself you're the worst chipper of all time. Don't tell yourself you're the worst putter of all time. That starts to play into your subconscious. And then at some point it manifests itself. So I would say just be mindful of like how you talk to yourself and be mindful of what it is that you're actually like watching over and over and over. For me, you know, I probably went through something similar with the driver when I was going through a swing change and I started hitting it way left and then I started hitting it even further right. And so there was like a, an involuntary, like, you know, I'd get, I'd get into impact and I'd be like, oh, I don't know where this is going that way. Or it was me being afraid of left and then the ball just would go, would go 90 yards right and so i've i've definitely dealt with that feeling it's a really interesting subject like i'm, I'm excited that you want to shine a light on it for people that have struggled with it or are currently struggling with it to give them some tools as to how to get start working their way out of it because you can see i mean you look at lucas glover and you're like 
oh my gosh, like this guy was missing putts like this long on the PGA tour. And then he just won back to back events. Like, wow. Like if right. he can, if he can work his way through it, right. You know, that that's, that's bit. I mean, he's dealt with it for 10 years, like not even a joke. He's dealt with it for 10 years. I played with him probably like five years ago. And, and he was, he told me about it. And, and so it's just like, it's pretty amazing that what he did, but it gives hope to everybody else. Like, Hey, if you can get through it and he's playing for millions of dollars. You can get through it. If you're playing for five bucks, you know, at your, at your local club in an ass off. Right. I love that you brought up the full swing. Cause I wanted to get into that later and we'll definitely get back to that. Cause that's where my mind went is we're going to dig into specific tactics, habits, patterns, that can help someone start to get back on track, which is a big part of the show, obviously. So I bet, keep me honest, that those types of processes, thinking can be applied to whatever a golfer is struggling with, even if it's not, quote, the Y word, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it goes it goes throughout the bag. I mean, you know, it's driver it's it's whatever club right i mean you know the famous you know roy mcavoy going through and breaking every every one of his clubs except for his seven iron right it's like he had a bad memory with each club and if you sort of let that take over you're like ah the last three what i hit was you know off the heel and it and it sliced over to the right or the last driver i hit was too far on the toe and it hooked to the left so you know you want to you want to you want to be able to take all those those sort of fears and doubts and and override that with you know some some positive reinforcement so you know i, I would remember like my days on tour and, and how i got to the tour was i did a lot of visualization like positive reinforcement visualization so i would play a practice round and i and i would come back after the practice run and I'd spend like 15, 20 minutes putting on headphones and listening to some like uplifting kind of music. And then just going over the golf course in my head and playing it from a spot of like, I was not in my body. Right. I was, I was behind, I was behind myself looking down the line and watching myself swing, seeing a good shot, seeing the shape, seeing the trajectory, seeing the ball flight seeing where it lands and I would go through every hole and play that. And I remember doing that at Q schools and I would really, really spend the time doing it. I played it um, four final stage of Q schools. The first three that I went to, I went, I think I finished birdie par birdie birdie. And I finished inside the number to get my PGA tour card. Someone I, I ended up get, getting bumped out by a couple guys um, but so I missed by one the next year I ended up making it the next year after that, I ended up getting my card again. So I was really successful in that high stakes, high pressure situation. I was really successful because I felt like I've already played. I've already seen the success. I've already seen it happening. And rather than looking at it as like, oh, sometimes I tow my driver. Sometimes I, hit my three iron low, low on the face. Eh, Sometimes I get a little chunky with my wedges rather than those thoughts going through my head. I was overriding that with positive reinforcement, seeing myself really executing the shots well. And if I didn't see it, 
I would just stay on that hole and I would keep, if, if it was an awkward shot, I would stay there until I had success. And so, you know, the mind I think is our, is our most powerful, you know, it, it, it's our superpower um, as human beings. And if you can, if you can sort of turn it on and use it in the right way, it is like, it can make or it can break you. Well, it's funny you say that because so many of our listeners, I bet you are listening right now thinking, yeah, but I have so much evidence that tell you otherwise, right? I've got <laughs> years of this miss, years of my handicap going up, of not being able to replicate a good stretch, right? But I think what you're saying is, is that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, even though it feels true and it is real. Like you did make those misses. You did shoot those high scores. The only way to interrupt that pattern, and I've struggled with this myself, like we all do, is acting as if you haven't or acting as if the person that stripes it down the middle or hits more fairways. Like as, as counterintuitive and silly a lot of people hear that and they think you're just telling me to tell myself something that isn't true. But then I've heard so many sports psychologists, tour pros, coaches come on this show and talk about how, how have you felt after hitting a, a fairway? How did that feel? Okay. Embody that, see it and don't walk into that shot until you feel that. And it actually does make a big difference as hard as it is because everything in your body if you've had enough struggle is saying, God, don't you do that again? Right. Well, and I think what you're talking about is how you're walking into the shot. I think another equally important part is how you uh, assess post shot as well. Mm, yeah. And because that can send you into a tailspin for the next shot. And so, yeah. you know, you can, you can really do be like, be mindful and manage how you process the shot. You can really, you can really be mindful of that. And so an example of doing something like that would be like, boy, I, I, I really feel like I'm close. I'm making some good progress on these swing changes, or I, I know I didn't hit that one perfect, but it leaves me in the perfect spot to get this up and down. Boy, I know I hit that driver a little thin, but it's in the fairway and I'm excited to go and hit the next shot. And rather than being like, you're being a good finder, you're finding the good. <laughs> You yeah. find you find the good, and you you're always sort of finding like, well, oh, I'm I'm really close to the yeah. feeling like I, I like I've really got ownership of these swing changes, or you know, boy, that you know I really made a good stroke on that putt. I just misread it. Let, let's go. Let's go do the next one. Yeah. Let, let's go get the next one. So, I think it's important to pay attention to, yes, how you walk in with confidence, belief, a, a real like self fulfilling prophecy type of an like an attitude in a positive way but it's also important to once you hit the shot and i've played with thousands of amateurs that expect perfection on every single shot i'm like no just you you play once a month you're not allowed to have an expectation of perfection it's not okay for you to do that all i would want for you to do is be like low expectations and be like you know what? I'm going to have a great day out here. I'm going to enjoy the walk. I'm going to have a great time with my friends. You know, we're going to enjoy a cigar or enjoy some music or, 
you know, this is our one day, you know, where we get to be with our buddies and away from our kids, or it's just, we get to enjoy nature, whatever it is that you want to see the good of how you're going to enjoy the day, do that. The golf part of it is, is going to be secondary, but too many people put the emphasis on, I need to shoot a score. I'm so attached to shooting this score. And that is sort of, as we like divert this conversation back to the yips, too much attachment to that result. That's what's going to lead to these involuntary spasms, uh, as we call like the, the, the yips, right? It's, it's an involuntary spasm that your subconscious basically takes over and it tries to save you from a harmful situation. But the only reason you view it as a harmful situation is because you're so attached to the results, which is why most guys after two tequilas feel they've sort of (laughs) removed their prefrontal cortex. and, And they've just said like, Hey, this is a great day. I'm having a good time. I'm not thinking too much. And boom, all of a sudden they, they play free. And, and the freedom comes back. So we want to be able to do that without having the two tequilas. Right. Right. That's what we really want to get into is like, how do we accomplish a yips free, just more of a free type of emotion without relying on, on any type of alcohol or substance like a beta blocker or whatever. Like you, you don't want to rely on those types of things. You want to be able to, to have a plan in place to have, okay, I'm going to walk into the shot and I'm going to be positive. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to make a great swinger. You don't, you don't get attached to the result. You don't say I'm going to, you know, hit this thing five feet from the pin. You get, you get attached to the process. You say, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to, I'm going to, here's my target. I'm going to commit to that shot shape. I'm going to commit to my target. I'm going to commit to my shot shape and I'm going to make it a, a great fluid, free, aggressive swing. And then that's it. You don't attach yourself to, well, the wind got it, or I slightly mishit it, or water was in between and it took off, or it was a jumper or any of that. You don't get attached to the result. You just, you, you, you get attached to the process of making good motions, making good decisions, and having a, a good uh, attitude as you walk in. And that'll help you with a good attitude as you leave the shot as well. You know, this show is all about helping you enjoy the ride and get out of your own way. But that is assuming one thing. That's assuming that we're on the golf course. And that's assuming that we're even able to play. I think it's a really funny thing in our society these days that prevention and proactiveness isn't a thing. It's kind of, how do I fix a problem after it's happened? And we don't take enough care of ourselves to prevent the problem in the first place. So one thing that I think is a perfect example of this is our mobility and our stiffness in our bodies and injury, right? There's nothing worse than being injured, wishing you could go play golf and not being able to, or as you get older, not be able to play as long as you would like. So I'm going to follow the Tom Brady model and I'm going to work on my pliability and my flexibility proactively. And luckily we've got the number one pliability app and flexibility app in the world on the program as a new partner. They're called Pliability. You download that app from the link, pliability.com slash partrain, and you enter your email on that link, download the app, and you'll get two weeks free. What I love is I'll go to the Explore tab and I'll go to Warmups 
And there is a endless list of maybe hips warm up, lower back warm up, six minutes, right? You follow it just like a workout. They've got great videos and you get yourself warm before you go play golf, hit balls. It really should be a daily thing. Five to 10 minutes every day, proactively work on your flexibility. I mean, let's be honest. If you're grunting when you go pick up the ball out of the hole or to go put a tee in the ground, that's a sign that you got to go get the pliability app. So go to pliability.com slash partrain, enter your email, get two weeks free trial, explore the whole app, anything you want in there and start being proactive with making your body feel better. All right, let's get back to the show. I just watched this video yesterday, Parker. You remind me of it. They did this study with um, two groups of kids. One group of kids, they after they took a test, they told them how smart they were. The other group of kids, they told them how much effort. They complimented their effort and said, we really like the effort. We like how hard you studied. We like that, right? The smart group scores declined significantly after being told and complimented on their intelligence. The group that was complimented on effort, their scores increased significantly. Actually, a scary amount. So before we get to like, before we dig in to some of the mistakes and tactics and things, I do have to ask you because I know my listeners will want to know and I want to know. So much of the attachment, what I've learned, because I've struggled with this too, especially over the last couple of years as the popularity of our show has grown significantly, it's very easy to identify as a golfer, as a certain handicap, as a certain good putter, good driver, whatever. And for me, it was a good attitude, right? Good mental game. For you, when you're a tour pro, and you're hitting it like this, because we've had Ward Jarvis on the show four times, I think, who's obviously coached Brandon Todd, who struggled with this. He coached Glover for the last couple of years. I don't think he coaches him anymore through his back-to-back wins, but I know he worked with Glover and Jimmy Walker and many others. What was going through your head and and how did you deal with that? Because you've probably identified with a golfer for a very long time. and it's also your livelihood. And so it must be impossible to not feel like a failure to your core and your identity. Easy to say, don't attach yourself, but when it's wrapped up in your identity, it becomes much more difficult. How did you handle that? And how did you go about starting to reverse that and get back on track with your full swing? Man, I feel like this is going to become like an Oprah episode. Um, I tend to, you know, I tend to do that. I apologize. No, no, no. I think it's a really good question. And it's probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to deal with because, you know, golf came fairly easy to me. I was a good athlete from, you know, golf was sort of like my third, like my third choice. Like I was into volleyball. I was into basketball. I was very good at both. I'm an incredible ping pong player, you know. <laughs> Better <laughs> um, than Coocher? Uh yeah, I've taken I've taken Cooch down. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Fact. Uh one game I've taken him down. Okay. But all that being said, like golf came fairly easy to me. Uh, no, I worked at it, but I you know, it's like I, I didn't I didn't ever win in college. But then once I 
kind of mentally, I worked with a sports psychologist named Don Green. And once I started working with him after I finished college, I, that's when, that's when like my career really started to take off. I'd had wrist surgery. I was out for a while for like six months. I couldn't play right after college. And I just started working, working with Don and read, read book after book, after book, after book on how to train my mind. So I started with a book called psycho cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. And that book taught me, Hey, this is how you, how your brain like receives information and receives commands. And here's how you need to start inputting the things into your brain to start to maximize your superpowers as a human. And so, you know, I read book after book after book on how to really program my brain in the right way. And that took me to, you know, like I said, I never won in college. And then I, I won on every major mini tour on my way to the PGA tour. And then in my second year on the PGA tour, I, I won on the PGA tour as well. So um, I, I didn't win on the corn Ferry tour. That was the only one I did it, but I had, I had, two second place finishes on the one year that I was on corn ferry to had two second place finishes. So like my, my career was going this way, you know, I end up, I end up winning. And after I won, I was like, boy, my golf swing just wasn't holding up. Like my short game, my putting held up perfectly, but my long game. I remember, it, 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 I think the, yep. the tournament you won, you got up and down nine out of nine times on the final round. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, in the in the final round, I've got a six shot lead, and in the first nine holes, I I missed eight out of nine greens, and I got up and down eight out of eight times in the first nine holes. And so, you know, to me, I was like, well, it's not nerves; it's just like my golf swing is just kind of falling apart under pressure. But my short game and putting is like outstanding. So I'm like, I don't feel like it's really like a mental thing or a nerves thing. I need to just go and change the motion of my golf swing to make it more efficient. I have a couple deficiencies with my grip and my, the way I take it back. And it just led to some inconsistency. And it's just sort of always how I had been throughout my career. It's like, I'd have weeks where I would stripe it and I would win. And then I'd have weeks where I wouldn't. And I would be like, well, I just missed the cup by like six. I have no idea where the ball is going. And so, but it was just so stark of a difference because the first three days I led the field in ball striking. And then the last day it was like, I hit five out of 18 greens in regulation. Now I ended up still winning by seven, but the point of it is that I went to, I need to change my golf swing. And so a few weeks later, I, I was like, maybe it was the next week at the PGA championship. You know, I ran into Sean Foley and, I think I'd played a practice round with Hunter Mahan and uh, Sean O'Hare and started talking to Sean Foley. And um, as we started talking, we had a, a couple of long discussions on the phone before I had hired him. And I was like, this is, this is Sean sort of how I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is, this is sort of how I operate. I'm not, I'm not normal. I'm a very, I'm a very feel. I'm, I'm very visual. I'm not a technical player. I need you to, you know, if we're going to work together, I need to really feel like you got to, you got to sort of show it to me. You got to, I got to, I got to latch onto some feels. I can't yeah. just be like on a whiteboard like this, 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 this is, that's not going to work for me. 
He's like, no, I can, I can teach you, you know, I can teach their feel. Cause I'm like, I'm very different than Hunter Mahan as far as like my learning style and, and stuff like that. So, and Sean O'Hare as well. So I hired Sean and we started working on a couple of things and it, it started to feel a little bit better. And then in the off season, I don't know if I was necessarily really getting that much better, but it was just, it, it started to become a, a slower kind of a decline of my ball striking, my confidence. And then it was sort of like, Hey, this, we, we might need to make a bigger change. This is not really working. You're not really getting it. So let's change, let's change your grip from being on the stronger side to a little bit more neutral with my lead hand. That's sort of when I really started hitting it like this was because I, you know, through impact, that's like, I, I've been this way my whole career. It's like, I sort of played left hand to the sky, sort of my whole career. And now all of a sudden, as I get to impact, my left knuckles are more this way. And it really, I, I, I lost my ownership of mm. impact. And so as I lost that, it brought in left, but that also brought in way right. Cause I, I, I was, you know, as a guy that grows up with a strong grip, you're definitely afraid of left. And so you just hold, 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 hold. And so now with a weaker grip, and if I'm definitely afraid of left and I hold, 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 that club face is like miles open to the right. And so it, it just became a really difficult thing to like own that impact again because I didn't know where where my hands were supposed to be. And so for me then dealing with going to a place like, charlotte and playing wells fargo a place that i think the previous year i'd i'd played decently at and showing up the first day and shooting 88 with a you know making a 13 on a hole on on number seven it's like what am i doing like it was like one of those moments where it was just like unbelievably embarrassing because i make 13 on this on the seventh hole this par five and I was just like the standard bearer. He, like, it was like I was playing with, I think it was like Stuart Appleby and Martin Laird. And the standard bearer, they were like one under, even par. And then the standard bearer, he didn't even have a, a number for me. He was just like, I think he felt so bad that I was like, you know, basically like 10 over par through seven holes or whatever. And he, I think he just felt so bad. And he was just like, I'm just not even going to put your score here. And so I ended up signing for 88 and it was like a super low moment of like, you're right. Everything that I had done was tied to, I was always about score. I was always about what my score is who I am, mm -hmm. right? Like as, as a, as a golfer, as someone who's playing this game for a living, my score was who I was. I just grew up competing. And so it was always, a, what was your last game? What did, you know, what did, did you win your last game? That was always sort of, I was such a big competitor. And I, you know, like I said, I was into ping pong. And I remember in college, like I was so intense in ping pong. Like I would, I would lose friendships. Like if I were to lose a match or I would be so intense, like it'd be like a 24 hour, like I'm so mad at that guy because he beat me in ping pong. It would be like a 24 hour loss where I'd need to cool off. So I was just super competitive. And to like, to basically go from, you know, my identity is my score to then being like, you know, as I would have these conversations with Sean, it was like, let's not worry about your score. Let's try to get better. Let's, let's, let's just worry about the process. And 
And as I let go of worrying about my score, it then became like, I became okay with, with shooting 76. And there's a lot of people who would love to shoot 76, but if you're doing this to put food on your family's table, yeah. shooting 76 is, is going to lose you a hundred thousand dollars for the year. Cause you're going to miss every cut, which I then did for the next probably 10 years. And so it was one of those moments where it's like very embarrassing. It's a hard thing to swallow to be like, my identity is a golfer. Like this is what everybody around me looks at me as a golfer. They look at me in through the lens of like, he's a professional golfer. And then to sort of take, take that all away and be like, well, I'm hitting it like this and I'm shooting 76, you know, with like 23 putts every day, <laughs> you know, because I'm right. like, well, I remember there was one point where it was like, I would play these like one day mini tour events in Arizona. And it was like, I would be proud of myself for not losing a golf ball. Like yeah. that was a, that was a win for the day. Cause I didn't lose a golf ball. And I just got so far off track on like my golf swing that I didn't know how to come back. And then as I, as I was so far off track with my golf swing, I also didn't feel like I could compete. And so that, took a huge piece of my sort of soul and who I was like, I can't compete because I know that I'm hitting it like this. So then all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm not going to go out and play with the boys because I'm probably going to hit two or three foul balls that I'm not going to know where they're going to come from. And I'm going to get laughed at and it's, it's going to wreck my confidence. What little mm -hmm. I have left. It's a slippery slope. That's probably more information than, than you wanted, but it's like, it's a bit more of the whole picture of it. And, it. and it took me a long time to, you know, really forgive Sean and, and our relationship. I know he was, I know he was trying hard and it took, it took me a long, a long time to forgive him because, I, you know, it's like, it took me a while to realize, you know, he's given, he was giving me the best information that he had. And he was giving it his his best, but that information didn't match up to my patterns and and the information that he was giving me. I wasn't receiving whether it was on me for how I was interpreting it or on him for how he was uh, delivering it. It just wasn't. It was legitimately the hardest I've ever worked on my golf game, and I and I just kept getting worse and worse and worse. I was out there before VJ Singh and I was, and I was leaving after VJ Singh was leaving the range and I just kept seeing my scores decline and decline and decline. And it was just a, you know, it, it's a really difficult thing as a golfer to be, or, or just as a human being to be like, you usually think that the harder you work, the better you're going to get. Right. That's just, that's just yeah. what you think. And golf is, is very enigmatic in that way where it's like, not necessarily the harder you work, the better you're going to get. You better have good information that matches up with the things that you, you, that your DNA, whether it's your grip or your takeaway or your posture or your setup, you better have something that matches up to your DNA to help you get better. And, and that's where, you know, it doesn't matter if you go out there and beat balls for 10 hours. If you're working on the wrong stuff, you're probably not going to get better. You're probably going to get worse. And I learned that the, the really hard way. And 
you know, lost, lost my PGA tour card and, and lost my confidence. And it was a, a, a definitely a dark spiral for, you know, 10 years of trying to figure out, well, if I'm not a golfer, then who am I? And that's a difficult thing to look in the mirror and ask yourself and then have the people that closest around you almost like not recognize you. They're like who, who is this person who's not confident, who doesn't believe in themselves, who shies away from things like who, who is that? That's not who you are. It's a difficult experience to really go through. If I tie it back to sort of like what I'm doing now, which is trying to help people with their short games, trying to cure people's chipping yips. Like I can come at it from an empathetic point of view. And, right. and I've been, I've been there. I've experienced what you're experiencing probably on the same level, if not, uh, if not a much higher level. And I can help you through this process. And I've had a couple of people. I had one guy who subscribes to my site that reached out and we had a 30 minute conversation he wants me to help his his high school golf team that he's he's helping to mentor and coach. I said, look, g- give me some feedback on the site. What is it that you like? What is it that we can do better? And he said, look, he said, one of the things that I connect with you on is that you're empathetic. You don't come at it from a place of, hey, I'm I'm talking down to you. You come at it of a place of like, hey, we're going to get through this together. This is something that a lot of people deal with, I've dealt with it. And, and you come at it from a place of empathy and sympathy and, and you just wrap your arms around somebody and be like, Hey, we're going to get through this together. But I had to go through a lot of, a lot of darkness to, to get to a place where I feel like I can, I can now bring that light to someone else who's dealing with something, with something similar. That's a, it, it's a real struggle because maybe golf is their favorite thing in the world to do but they've had the chipping yips for the last 10 years. And now they've shied away from playing golf because of, you know, that flaw that they feel like is, is an embarrassing point. And so they, to me, it's like, I want to be able to give that person back that joy of, of playing the game and enjoying the game and, and not being fearful of trying to hit a bunker shot or trying to hit a chip shot or trying to make a, a four foot putt. Well, thank you for going through that. I think it's super helpful context for everybody. And we're going to get into the specifics now. But I do want to say, I think you just made me realize I have full swing yips because what you just described is exactly what I've been going through to a T. It feels very like I've got all the tools mentally, but I just know it's not in the right place. It feels very involuntary. I definitely shy away from competing, which is like, in my group of friends, like as a seven, I was one of the best players, been as low as a five. And I was always the one that would shoot the best score on the day that would mean the most, like on a Ryder Cup trip, you know, singles match play. I would break 80 every time because I just was a competitor and I would focus more, right? But what you just described, I think people listening are going to connect with because what I've experienced is it's not just attachment to score. I've experienced it so badly that you get attached to ball striking and certain misses, like being able to just get it around the track becomes the marker of what you want, which is not a mindset that promotes that, right? You can't, you can't muster up a committed swing by just saying, I just want to keep it 
on the planet, right? It's, not, it's counterintuitive. Not doesn't work. So I bet you people are listening that have maybe even let go of score and just want to be able to not lose eight ball, eight plus balls around because I've experienced that firsthand. So let's dig into it a little bit, Parker, because this is like, you know, we're, our mission is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. So this is the peak of frustration, of yeah. feeling like something's wrong with you. People are wondering what happened. And maybe other people don't even think that. Maybe, you know, they think you're better than what you think you are. But in our world, in your own head, you know where you've been. So it's very easy to compare yourself against your best all the time when you're going through this stuff. So let's assume it's me. I come and see you. Where do you start? It sounds like information, because I know that's key with everything you do. And it's, by the way, I should tell you this, my short game has gone from the worst part of my game to by far the best part of my game, largely because of you. And I think a lot of it is understanding what I was doing. And now I don't change technique every round. Like I change what I'm doing based on the lie that I have and the shot I'm trying to produce. And that's how the full swing should be. So let's start there. How do you start with someone? I know there's a lot of causes that it could potentially be. I've I've looked at your site, which by the way, I'm a paying member of. Um, so I'd highly recommend it. But let's start there. Where would you start? Yeah, so usually it starts by me having a conversation with that person. If I'm seeing them in, in person, we have a conversation as, as I pick them up by the parking lot and we drive to the back of the range. We have a conversation. Where are you with your golf game? How, why are you here? How can I help you? What are we trying to accomplish today? That's, that's when they'll, you know, go into 10 minutes. If it's a real struggle, 10 minutes of like, yeah, I've got the yips. I've had it for 10 years. This is, you know, I chunk it. I blade it. I have no confidence. I putt from 40 yards off the green. That's usually where it starts. If someone is saying that, then we go out there. I usually know the causes. If they're telling me that I chunk it and then I blade it, I usually have an idea of what the causes are. And so I'll watch them hit a few. And usually the very first like one or two are are the ones that I video because that's when the, the stress level is the highest. They're wanting to perform their best in front of me. And usually it doesn't work out very well. And, and if, and whatever flaws they have show up in those first couple swings. Yeah. Now to me, we usually start with setup. Usually the setup is, is pretty far off. And so we look at the setup first, the swing, you know, let, let's say a normal chip shot or a normal pitch shot. It's not really that far, right? Let's just say the club goes up to about here and it goes up to about here on this side. So it's back and then through. It's yeah. not really that long of a swing. So you better have a good setup. And and a lot of people's setup are really surprisingly off for for that simple type of emotion. So I'll start it, I'll start it setup. And and I think that if the setup can be in a spot where it's significantly different than where it was previously, then all of a sudden their brains will stop trying to override and involuntarily save that shot. So point being is like, 
if someone comes to me with like ball position way back, handle way forward, weight way on the left-hand side or, or on their lead foot, usually that player to hit a 10-yard chip or pitch shot freaks out on their way into delivering delivering that club into impact. And so if I can change some of those setup conditions, now all of a sudden they're hopefully with some added information and added understanding of why certain things happen, they will start to react more like an athlete. They will start to react in more of a free and athletic way. That's really the goal. And so if I can put someone in a good spot at setup, put them in a good spot in the backswing, hopefully on their way through, they're free and athletic. That's really the goal. So it's sort of, it's a three-piece puzzle. It's like, okay, if I can get you in a good spot at setup and I can get you in a good spot in the backswing, then hopefully you can just be that athletic person that most people normally are. Nor- people normally know how to move. And again, it's the same, it's the same as like just throwing a, throwing a baseball or bowling or something like something where you have normal weight transfer back and through is the same thing as hitting a chip or pitch shot, whatever it might be. It's like, that's the same type of athletic, small athletic movement that we need. And so the whole goal is to get them away from trying to feel like they have to save it as they come into impact. I want them to feel like, man, I can just, just move right on through. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's really the goal. And, And I think, as we go back to like the setup talk and you look at Lucas Glover, what was one of the biggest changes that he made to help him out of the yips? Long putter, right? Yeah. He totally changed his setup. Gripping it like, like this, right? It's like completely different than being like this. Yeah. Like just, it's a totally different thing. Now there's some reasoning behind where some of these guys are going cross-handed Right to do some chipping, VJ Singh, Chris Couch, Matt Fitzpatrick. There's a there's a, a number of guys that have gone to a cross-handed you know type of emotion. Mm-hmm. It changes things in your brain that it, says, it rewires things. It says like, oh, well, this is a new place it's to start yeah. from, and it's different, right? And so your brain isn't in the same spot of like, oh, this doesn't feel good. I need to involuntarily save it. So Luke, you know, you look at you look at Lucas Glover and you're like, okay, well, he's in a totally different spot setup wise. He's never experienced going like this. And so he doesn't have his brain is not at a place where it's like, I need to step in and save you from the disaster that's about to happen. And so yes, th- he's he's done a a ton of mental work. I know I, I've talked to Ward quite a bit. Jason Kuhn, I think, is is the guy that was was helping him, who's done un- unbelievable stuff through baseball and pitching because I think he was a pitcher in college, and I, I've read some of his stuff and listened to him on podcasts, and he's he's really smart. But he he talks about it being involuntary motion where everything sort of tightens up, and it becomes really difficult to actually make an athletic free motion that you would make as a kid, but something is there where your brain steps in and says, I need to save, save you from the disaster that's about to happen. And so everything involuntarily tightens up all the way 
from from your shoulders to your elbow to your to your wrists and your and your fingers. Yep. The same thing happens. Same thing happens with golf. And so the thought becomes: How do we get a player without? You know, there's definitely mental work that needs to be done. But some from some of the work that I've done with the chipping stuff, I've gotten 50 plus people out of the chipping yips through working their setup, their backswing, and then giving them the understanding of the mechanics of, hey, this is probably why your brain freaks out. This is probably why. And I, and I usually tell them, it's like, this is not the yips. This is the staves, okay? You're going up to the top mm. of your swing and you're in a spot where you, everything in your brain is like red flag, red flag, red flag. I need to save you. Kind of crazy how your and body so, knows, right? Totally, totally. Yeah. And so and so you, you just intuitively know and you're like, I got to save it. And so as, as I've sort of helped some of these people, it's like, I want to get you to the top, to the point where at the top of your backswing, your body's like green light, go just green light and flow. And so I think that it's about getting you to a spot of, of remembering how to chip like a kid, you know, again, it's like, it's, it's turning off that prefrontal cortex where you're like, I've got two tequilas. I don't really care about right. the result and I can just sort of flow. Now, again, I don't want to rely on, those external substances to try to help me. I want to be able to do this on command when, you know, I'm playing for my club championship and, you know, these people are standing there trying to hit a chip or a pitch shot from 20 yards off the green. And they've got 50 people around the 18th green watching. Like they, they need to be able to do that without relying on those substances. So to me, part of it is mental work for sure. But that mental work is also, you know, Hey, you got to be able to see some positive stuff happening, whether it's right. And so some people, depending on how far down the road they are with it, it's just like, you need to see some positive practice swings. That's it. Just get on a, just get on grass and just make some positive practice swings where you are feeling that bounce engaging with the turf and you're just brushing it, bruising it and not taking a divot. Start to really engage with the bounce and, and understanding that the ground can be your friend. The bounce can be your friend. What happens that I see is that basically people get really, really deathly afraid of their turf interaction. Deathly afraid of it. And so as they get deathly afraid of that turf interaction, they then involuntarily Save. go that way and it becomes it becomes the blade. So the chunk the, the blade happens because you're scared of the chunk. Right. So my right. my massive ball out to the right was because I was scared of left. And so Paul Azinger really helped me helped me out of understanding how to he basically helped me get rid of the right ball by, by having me eliminate the left ball. Interesting. Yep. And so we didn't even work. We didn't even work on the, on the, the right one. All we, all we did was work, was work on how to eliminate the left one. And so hmm. that type of philosophy, you take that into chipping and it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to work on, on this person being like, Hey, I'm going to 
I'm going to get rid of your blades. It's like, no, we're going to work on the chunks because the reason that you're blading it is because you're afraid of the chunks. Right. So let's work on getting rid of the chunk. And that, and that's where, and that's where we start. So we start with getting rid of the chunk and then that plays its way into just eliminating the blade altogether without even trying to eliminate the blade. You know, this is a vulnerable show. People come on here and we talk about things that are important to us, that we've been struggling with, that we're embarrassed about. And golf is, you know, it's kind of a naked game. You're just me, myself, and I. There's nothing anybody can do for you out there. It's just you and the ball. And one thing I think that a lot of men go through that is a vulnerable thing is their hair starts thinning. And it's kind of an embarrassing thing. And you don't really want to talk about it to anyone. And you just kind of accept that that's the way it's going to be. And I went through this as well. And my wedding was coming up. You've heard me talk about it on a couple past podcasts. And I didn't want to accept that that was going to be my reality. Now, I've learned a couple things about hair loss since working with Regenics and buying their products and their program for almost three years now is there's a couple things you guys should know. If you've had any thinning in your hair or even you want to do this preventatively, there's a couple things I've learned. One, there has been no study ever scientifically proven that anything can grow hair back. So all of these products that claim that they can grow your hair back, other than like a surgery, obviously, it's never been the case. It's untrue. What you can do though is prevent thinning, prevent loss, slow thinning, slow loss, and thicken the hair that you have. And the second thing that I learned is the way you do that is actually through strengthening and purifying the follicle. So Regenix will send me a follicle analysis. I every When you're done with the treatments, you pull out a couple hairs and you send it in through the mail and they send you back an analysis and show you the follicle. And the follicles they have basically removed a lot of what they call debris. And once you remove the debris in the follicle, that's when you can start to strengthen and thicken and make the follicle healthier and stronger. And that's what's worked for me. And they've worked for thousands of people, including Matthew McConaughey, who has an amazing head of hair, thanks to Regenix. So go to Regenix.com, do and try their starter kit. Okay. That's how I started. I was like, all right, I don't know how much of a financial commitment I want to do, but I know I want to give this a shot. So I tried their starter kit and I got you 15% off using the code train. So regenix.com, R-E-G-E-N-I-X.com. Enter the code train, you'll get 15% off your starter kit. I'm telling you guys, I've seen thousands of you click the link when I share it on social. So I know that this is something that a lot of guys care about. And I'm telling you, it's worked for me. I wouldn't have brought them on if it didn't. I've been using them well before they became a partner for years. And I wanted to bring it to the um, all the riders out there of the par train. So Regenix.com, enter the code train, get 50% off, start feeling more confident. All right, let's get back to the show. Padraig Harrington has talked about, he said his work with Rotella, who's been on the show, said his whole focus all around is to not comp- make any compensations. Which is a little counterintuitive because a lot of, you know, we hear golfers say all the time, like, you know, play with the girl you brought to the dance a bit, right? Like, don't try and fight it. But so many of us, if we're making a compensation after one miss on one, then we're bringing a new miss to two because it's compensation upon compensation. And now we don't even have 
near close to the mo our true motion. We're just filled with compensations, right? So well, I think if you look, yep. And if ahead. you look at like like what you said earlier about your short game, you have a belief in what it is that you're doing, and you're just like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, and and I'm gonna stick with it all around, and and you've seen like dramatic in, increases in and in how good your short game has become because you're not changing from shot to shot. Right. You like, I have a plan here. I know what I'm trying to feel. I know what I'm trying to accomplish. I know what I'm trying to do, and then I can just commit to it. Now you're human. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna hit bad shots, but you're gonna you because you've gone through like some of the program and you have that deep understanding. Yeah, of how the club works and how we want it to be delivered and how we want it to release and all that stuff. You have a deep understanding of of what it is that you're trying to do, and because of that deep understanding, you're not out searching for like, oh, I'm, well, I saw that on the internet and then I saw this one and then I'm going to do this Phil Mickelson one and then I'm going to do this yeah. Brett Rumford one and I'm going to do something. And, and you know, there's a million you know opinions and and whatnot out there, but what I try to do on my site is give people the information. And it's the same thing I did with, with my work with Keith Mitchell. It's like, you know, he, he's the most appreciative of that. I gave him the information of, Hey, this is sort of how it works. This is, this is what turf interaction. This is what path, this is what attack angle, this is release. This is, these are, these are all the things that sort of go into hitting a, pitch and this is this is what's going to happen if you do xyz these things are then going to present themselves and so i gave him the information and then he was able to take that information as basically his foundation and baseline and now he can build some creativity some playfulness and some shot making skills with that foundation built in there but he's not going to go away from that foundation and be like oh i'm just going to completely abandon it because i hit one bad shot He's going to be like, right. no, my foundation is solid. The information is solid. Boom. I'm going to just keep going through it. And, I, and and he has continually gotten better and better with his short game. And this year, I think probably for the first time in his career, he led, he led the field in strokes gained around the green multiple weeks. The Riviera week, he led the field in strokes gained around the green. And uh, up in Minnesota at the 3M, he led the field in strokes gained around the green. There's no chance he's ever done that in his, in his entire career because he just yeah. ne he never really had the the foundation of like this is what I'm gonna do. And he likens it to to when he would hit a driver. I was like, well, what do you do with your driver? He's like, well, I hit a, about a two to five yard fade on every shot. I was like, well, but what if it's a dog leg left? I hit a two to five yard fade. <laughs> he just knows that that's what he's gonna do. Yeah. And so, when he, I was like, let's take that same philosophy. And I, he works with Rotella as well. And Rotella was in favor of it. Take that same philosophy with your driver because you're top 10 in the world in driving the golf ball. And yep. let's take that same philosophy to short game. Let's really have that foundation where it's like, okay, I know that I'm going to hit this same shot that I trust, that I believe in. I'm going to make that same, he calls it his vanilla pitch shot motion. And then he's able to sort of, play and be creative off of that so he may change the face at address he may change the length of back so he may change how he sort of releases it to create some height or some or some uh, right you know lower trajectory but his foundation is still that baseline pitch shot, vanilla pitch shot motion and so I, I think that that's one of those things where 
we got to get to a point of, of really creating a good foundation that's based in an understanding of what you're doing so that you're not just searching for random things yeah. like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try that on this shot. Oh, I'm going to try this on that shot. It's like, well, you're just going to be like spinning your head like a dog trying to chase its tail. It's never going to work right. out very well. One thing that makes me makes me think of is we've talked about this sermon. I've talked about this on another show where someone might see me. Let's say I'm on a shootout and a member guest, right? And there's hundreds of people around. This is my PJ tour, right? And it's alt shot and we got to get up and down. Tight lie, right? If I put that to three feet, people might think I'm clutch. But the funny thing is, is that I know my key is make sure I have a little lightness through my transition and I turn my chest. And I know, based on what I've learned from you, that as long as I do those two things, it's gonna. I'm not going to chunk it. I'm not going to blade it. Distance control is distance control. But I feel like I have enough feel. And to your point of either, you know, hold it open a little bit for a little bit more spin or kind of release it to let it run. And obviously different clubs and length. It's like, okay, I have enough variables, but what I'm doing is the exact same. Like that, I guess my question for you, Parker, is, is the full swing, is there more feel versus real in the full swing? which makes it much harder to get that same level of confidence and foundational knowledge of the swing versus the pitching, chipping, or putting motion? Yeah, I mean, a lot more moving parts, which is why, like, I, I stay in my lane, which, you know, chipping, pitching, bunker, putting, yeah. you know, 50 to 100-yard shots, uh, 50 to 80-yard shots, I feel like I'm I'm really good at, at identifying – the problem and, and being able to, to find a solution rather quickly. I feel like I'm, I'm very good at that. I would say that the full swing is there's a lot more moving parts. There's more ground reaction forces. There's a lot more, you know, like unweighting, weighting, you know, exploding out. There's, there's the sequence of it is a bit more complex. You know the wrist, the wrist angles, the everything is more complex with the full swing, which is sort of why I stay away from it because I just I know that I can help someone immediately with with short game, yeah. and so I, I I like to be able to provide that immediate value and, and really help somebody immediately. Full swing, I feel like it's like boy, it's it's going to be a process on and on and on, and so I, I'm just a bit more attracted to the short game because of that. But to go back to your question, a lot of times with full swing like i got out of a lot of my sort of driver yips or driver issues by turning off my my sort of thought process of like okay i'm trying to get it here i'm trying to get it here i'm trying to feel this i'm trying to i'm trying to feel this on the downswing you know like that was too much for me and i, I remember i remember talking to justin rose about you know when, when i was going through some struggles and and he he said, you know, I, I've got a handful of thought. I've got a takeaway thought. I've got a top of backswing thought. I've got a transition thought. I've got a downswing thought. I've got a impact thought. I've got a follow through thought. And I was like, wow, that is a lot. I, 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 my brain does not work that way. His brain does. My wow. brain is more like see it, shoot it, 
like like and so like you know i i I sometimes will equate it to like well there's 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 steph curry on one side and there's shaquille o'neal on the other side right you look at steph and it's like bounce bounce go and you look at shaquille it's like bounce 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 yeah you know you know what i'm you know what you know what i'm getting at and it's like one is free and athletic and it's like point and shoot the other one is like there's so many thoughts going on and i've been there like i've been in that spot where it's like boy it was it's like hard to pull the trigger because you got so many thoughts on like how to take it back and then how to get to the top and then how to release it and so i got to a point where i'm like okay i'm a decent enough athlete if you just tell me like hey I'm, i'm gonna I'm going to just get more connected to my trajectory, my shape of the shot. And I really just get into like getting visual about where it is that this ball is going and start to create some things in my mind. That's when I started to, as Paul would call it, like clear out the cobwebs in my brain. So I got, I started getting way more visual and that really, really helped to free up all the, the tension and tightness that I would have on the way through. And yeah, so as I just target side yep. instead of player side, right? Yep. Yep. Rather than, rather than like looking at like, where am I back here and, and being so worried about that? It's like, boy, I, I've forgotten what my intention is. Right. And so now I'm like way more there and I'm like, yep. Boom. Yep. And, and you know, there, there's a lot of similarities in that analogy to putting, you know, like, I, I really make sure that like if my players are stuck putting, we talk a lot about intention. We talk a lot about visualization and I give them a lot of different tools on how to get to a spot of, of being more visual so that they can be less, less stuck and less focused on, well, when I take my practice stroke, I notice that I go too far inside or when I take my, you know, I, I always look like I, it looks like my club face is always shut at a dress and then I'm worried about it going back and then I compensate on the way through. And it's like, yeah, I can see that. I, I, I just videoed you for tw- 25 seconds in your routine and you you looked at the hole twice. You spent 95 percent of your time looking here and worrying about that club face, worrying yeah. about your back, worrying about your transition or your, or your, your way into impact. No wonder you're, you're never starting a ball online and you're, you're not making any putts. Yeah. Completely forgotten what the actual goal is with putting. Mm -hmm. What is the actual goal with putting? Is it to like have a perfect stroke? The goal of putting is to like make a, yeah. Well, but the end goal is to make the putt. You can't always control that, but yeah, you go like, okay, well, if I'm going to make this putt, it needs to start on this line. It needs to go over here. It needs to, it needs to fall into the cup on this side of the hole for, for me to make this putt. Yeah. But the end goal is to make the putt. Yeah. Right. The same thing. Like if you're standing on a tee box, what's the end goal? It's, it's not to make a perfect swing. It's, it's like the end goal is for this thing to end up on this side of the fairway or, to 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 be in the fairway in general maybe harbor town you're like well i gotta get it on the proper side of the fairway but in general the main goal off the tee is to get the ball into the fairway yeah that that's it it doesn't matter if it looks like this or it looks like that the end goal is to be in the fairway that gives you the the, 
the, the greatest opportunity to then get it up onto the green. So let me wrap up things with this because I think it's actually really telling. It's it's perfect timing too, because last week, Sermon and I did a review of our best rounds ever and our worst rounds ever. And we pulled out very specific patterns and it was night and day. It was very clear why we played well on one day and why we had our worst round on the other day, right? And I actually think I'll use my own game as an example here to relate to our listeners is the way that I am around the greens and on the putting green is 100% different to how I am over a shot. Let me explain. So over a putt, I've found that my best putting, and now this is my routine, I rarely even get down to read the putt. I'm a very instinctual putter. I actually, I think I'm a pretty good green reader because I can kind of tell what the putt's going to do just walking up to it. I have to look at the hole. I have to see it going in. And then the second my head goes down to my ball, I forward press and I go. And I don't think about my stroke anymore. I don't care if it goes inside. I actually embrace it going inside. I release it. And even if I hit it off the toe and off the heel, more times than not, my ball has a chance. Or at least I'm starting it online. Same thing around the greens. But my full swing, I'm changing multiple techniques throughout the round. Don't know what my club's doing through impact. There's much more questions than answers, and yet I'm not deliberate or clear on what I want that ball to do at all. So I think what I'm hearing is, number one, if you've had struggles in a certain area of the game, we've talked about full swing and around the greens or on the greens. I think what you said, very similar to what Ward has said on the show before, is you have to bring a new experience into that shot. You have to give your brain a new experience, even if it's a slightly different mindset or a new feel, a new approach. You have to present a new experience. Otherwise, your brain's going to recognize it and it's going to try and save, save, save. Because the brain is designed to prevent pain. So if that but thing's been causing your pain. Yeah. So I think that's one thing. And the other thing you've talked about is you have to understand kind of what's causing it. And I think it's really eye-opening that you haven't gotten rid of a two-way miss by trying to get rid of a two-way miss off the tee for you. You became much more educated on what helps eliminate a certain side. And therefore, it gave you more freedom and deliberateness to then eliminate the other side. I think those are those are two to three really big takeaways and aha moments for me. Anything that I haven't mentioned that you think is a good way to kind of sum this up for everybody? You know, I think the the two-way miss, whether it's with chipping, chunk blade, whether it's with yep. your full swing, block out to the right if you're a right-handed golfer or smother hook left or whether it's uh, a, a low pull left or a big slice out to the right though it's like find the root cause of that problem what is it and then fix that root cause that will then heal the other miss it will then fix the other miss 
but yeah, it, a, lo a lot of times it is one of, it's one of those things where like, even if you just imagine a, a, a more uh, like a more of an amateur golfer, like a, a 15, 20 handicap that usually has that ball that has a massive slice on it. I would say usually that has something to do with their grip, right? It usually has something to do with their grip. And so if you, similar to Lucas Glover, if you kind of, if you, if you change that grip enough to where now you don't feel like you've got to, you've got to save it right at the end. Now, all of a sudden you're giving your brain something new and potentially a, a fresh start. Um, and especially the, the higher handicappers whose grips are usually a bit off. If you can change that grip, now all of a sudden you're giving your brain something new to start with. And, yeah. and hopefully, uh, hopefully that changes that, that pattern of, well, I'm going to freak out right at the ball because my brain's saying I got to save it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like find the find the root cause of of where it is that that two way miss is coming from. Well, I love it. Thank you for staying long. This was great. Shortgamechef.com. I'm a member. You guys should be. This isn't an ad. It's <laughs> it's a true thing. It's real. After, yeah. It's a real thing. And obviously at Short Game Chef on Instagram. So thank you as always, my man. This was great. I felt like we barely even scratched the surface. So at some point There's again, so we'll much, have to have you yeah. back. Yeah, there's so it's it's such a deep, you know, it's such a deep subject, and and I I know like like I went a little deep into like sort of my, my personal stuff because it it it, no, it's good. it just help it just helps to understand with, you know, the people that are out there dealing with it. It's like, hey, people at the highest level of golf deal with this stuff too, and they're doing it with thousands of people watching them, TV cameras watching them, and playing for their livelihood. So there's you know, everybody's dealing with it. I've dealt with it. And so it's like, I, I want to be able to share and have an open communication and dialogue. We've all dealt with it and that there's ways out of it. The same way Lucas Flubber got out of it. The same way I, I got out of it. The same way Brendan Todd got out of it. Troy Merritt's working his way out of it. It's like, we're all in this together at, at, on some level and, and to be able to humanize it and, and share um, some of this stuff I feel like is, is an important, is an important part of it, all of us sort of collectively healing together. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, this was great. Thanks as always, Parker. Pumped to have you back at some point down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Boy. Take care, my man. Thanks. Dustin. Hey guys, this is Evan real quick before you hop off the train. I got something for you. It's called the train of thought. It's our new email newsletter. Would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to the Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.